Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our Brilliance Bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, Brilliantly Resilient Tribe. Can you believe that this is our 100th episode? If we could, we'd say, you get a car, you get a car. (laughs) Everybody gets a car. Maybe by our thousandth episode, we'll hand out cars. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's so exciting. 100 episodes. Can you believe it? I mean, we didn't even know what the heck we were doing when we started this. We just... We had a passion, we took our action steps, and we controlled the controllables, which were, we can't go out in public because it's COVID. So what can we do now? This has been, not only has it been super fun and silly, and we've met the most incredible people, but you know, we say all the time that we started this to help other people, and it literally every week, every guest And many, many times every Instagram and Facebook post, it's helping us and especially me through all the different twists and turns and lovely setbacks and sucker punches. (laughs) And we have realized, we realized in our own lives that this was a process. And the interesting thing I think about all the people that we've talked to is every single person that we have spoken to has echoed both the things we experienced and the fact that it's something that you have to incorporate into your life and be willing to revisit in order to get through these sucker punches and train wrecks. Yeah. That's the word that drives me nuts. It isn't really in our three R's. It's that fourth one. Revisit, revisit, repeat, keep coming back to it, but no better than to revisit our process than with our guests this week for the hundredth episode. Oh my gosh. Taylor Greiger and Stephen O'Shea um, took a journey that, that I, I don't know anybody else who would, who would have taken this journey, but they sailed from Florida around to Cape Horn, which is known as the graveyard of ships because it's where the Pacific and Atlantic meet. The reason they took this journey is that uh, Taylor was a Navy veteran who, after getting out of the service, experienced profound PTSD to the point where he tried to take his own life. And when the gun did not go off, he realized that he had to find his purpose, which became drawing attention to the plight of every service member. And it is pretty much every service member who experiences some kind of PTSD. Yeah. It's uh, oh my gosh, they are just, they're brilliant. Um, and, and the lessons out of this episode, I mean, it, it, it's nothing more than divine intervention that this, these guys came into our path when they did for this big hundredth celebration, looking back at all the work that we've done and all the people that we've touched and now to celebrate with guys like this, it's, uh, it's fantastic. So I think everybody's going to love it. Yeah. We're so excited. And this whole journey of theirs, I don't want to forget to mention this is documented in the film, hell or high seas, which is available in streaming. And I was utterly mesmerized. I could not take my eyes off of this whole experience and these guys and what they went through. It's, it's raw, it's, it's real. 
And um, you just can't help but feel for not only um, Taylor and Stephen for what they went through on this journey, but for every veteran who has experienced in something like this. So um, thanks, shout out to you guys for being our hundredth episode guests. And thanks to all of you for sticking with us and taking this brilliantly resilient journey with us. And cheers to all the, all the other 99 episodes that got us to this point. It really has been quite a journey. So enjoy the episode. Keep listening. If you like this, then hit uh, subscribe wherever you're listening and share it with a friend that could really use this uplifting information. We'll see. Bye everybody. Thanks. Stick with us. There's more great stuff to come. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I am beyond overwhelmed and excited today to bring you two guys who um, did a film with another buddy of ours called Hell or High Seas. And I'm not going to get into the explanation of it right now because they have to just tell you their story. So Kristen and I want to welcome Stephen O'Shea and Taylor Greger. Guys, it's just such a pleasure to meet you. Um, Your journey was beyond inspirational to me, not only because of the journey itself, but because of what it means. So I'm going to give you a minute to introduce yourselves, tell you, tell everybody how you met, and then we want to talk about the film. Right on. Thank you for having us. It's really cool (laughs) getting to chat about it. Um, Yeah, I'm Taylor Greger, and I'm a sailor. I sailed down here in Kima, Texas. It's just south of Houston, if people don't know where that is. Um, and that's all we're up to now. We talk about the film and sail veterans around. And Stephen, you, so you guys met in high school, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. So we were actually on the swim team together in high school uh, down here in Texas. And then we went our separate ways. Taylor went into the Navy, into the military, and I kind of went into academia Um, and we reconnected while I was doing my PhD in Scotland and that's when Taylor reached out and he'd found some of my writing online. Um, cause at the time I was researching and interviewing combat veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, so Taylor kind of found some of that writing online and he, he pulled me to tell the story of female helicopters in Guam where he was stationed, which ended up being just, you know, really compelling material and that made it into my book and we reconnected while I was in Guam down there and kind of conceived the idea for the journey that would become Hell or High Seas. Now at that point Taylor were you out of the service at that point when you guys reconnected? I was still active duty I still had a year left on my contract a little less than a year. Okay, so now you're this whole story has its roots in what happened to you after you left the service. So I want to hear that part of the story. Talk about that. All right. Yeah. Whenever I first got out of the military, um, first couple months were, were all right. It was nice being free again. I'm going to go wherever I wanted and uh, not have to be accountable to anyone. It was, was a lot of fun. It was really cool. And then it was for me, it was about the third month. I started noticing my body was acting weird. Um, adrenaline would start running in my body for no reason at all. I wouldn't be doing anything and like a rush of adrenaline would come on me. Um, and it, that was probably one of the scary moments. And then when that started happening, I started kind of my brain, I think I don't, I'm not a doctor. I can just tell you about what happened to me, but, um, mm-hmm. I guess my brain started trying to process what happened overseas. Cause when you're over there, 
especially when you fly, you know, and you go to these briefs before you go fly and you kind of talk to everybody as a crew and whatever you have going on in your personal life or whatever happened on your flight beforehand, there's a common term you use. You've got to compartmentalize it to do your job. So whatever dark stuff you're going through or whatever happened to you, the, it's you just tell each other, like, put it in the back. You know, you got a job to do. Um, so if you do that, so I did that for six years, right? I did that for six years, just putting everything off and, and not letting my body process what happened. And so the third month, you know, when my adrenaline started running and my brain, I feel like started processing what happened overseas. And uh, yeah, my body would just run away from me. I would find myself thinking about, you know, stuff that happened overseas. And, uh, and then when my adrenaline was running, I just felt out of control. It was honestly really scary. I was scared to, to say it. It took me a while to admit that, but I was really scared. And um, whenever that was going on, I ruined about every single relationship I had, pushed everybody away and, um, you know, hit the bottom. Obviously we talk about it in the film, but I called Steven and I was like, dude, I'm lost, man. I don't know how to live anymore. Have you seen any guys that you've talked to in your interviews for your book? Um, have they, have they gone through this? Have you heard, is this normal? Have you heard about this before? And that's whenever he told me, he was like, every single person I've interviewed says the exact same thing you did. Wow, um, wow. You're not alone and it's a real problem. And um and that really lit the fire for the documentary. That's that between between Steven and I, like there was no question. We had it was well, we need to tell everybody else about this. Because I didn't know. I had no idea what was gonna happen to me when I got out. Um I didn't think I was gonna have a problem at all. I was in the military and I lost several of my friends to suicide and I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I just I guess my brain didn't comprehend it. Um that when I'd get out, I have a problem. I didn't think I was going to have a problem. It just happened. Um, and so when I, when Steven and I were talking, we're like, we got to make sure everybody knows about this. Everybody gets out, knows what's going to happen to them so they can be prepared. So they're not taken by surprise by it. And they know how to handle it. You know, that there's resources you can go to, to reach out to, to help you, to help you heal and get better. I had no idea. I didn't think that there was a way to live again. Um, and Steven was the first person that told me that, you know, a civilian, wow. not anybody getting out of the military or, or anything. And, and I don't honestly, honestly, now that we've been doing this for a while, I don't think it's their fault. I really don't. I think I think people don't know. Um, and that was that's that's why we made this film to talk about PTSD and, and how it affects the body on a physiological level. Nobody talks about that at all. Um, but you that know, research has been out since like 2007. Since 2007, so, you said or 17? Yeah. 2007. 2007. Wow. You know, yeah. one of our good friends that has been on the show, and we've become good friends with him, Dr. Lee Warren, he was in Iraq also, he's a neurosurgeon. And he talks about that you have to do self brain surgery on your own mind, like exactly what you were talking about, Taylor, you caught you compartmentalize for so long and push it all back. And then it starts creeping up, he actually gets a, um, a severe pain in his shoulder from an old injury from over in Iraq. And that's when things are going haywire in his life, it starts to manifest that way. But I also want to make sure that our listeners that are hearing this, that it lands with everybody that you just brought up some very important things that you did. You reached out to somebody and you asked a simple question. Have you ever heard of this before? Which then started your reset and rise by simply asking for help. I want people to really take that in. Um, and especially, I mean, it might not be politically correct to say in these days, but you can't keep up with all the rules, but coming from guys, right? And from soldiers 
you know, a soldier that you guys seem to, everybody kind of thinks that you just, you can compartmentalize and then you can go into these situations and come out and you're okay. And the fact that you're saying, wait a minute, I need some help is, is huge for the people that, that um, haven't been in that situation and feel like they can't ask for help. So I appreciate that you brought that up. Thanks. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I appreciate that. But I think this is another thing I've, I've kind of struggled to understand is when, when you're in the military and you're operating in those environments, I don't think you have time to let your brain decompress. I, I can think of several times where like, if I, if I wasn't 100% in what I was doing at that moment, we would have all died for sure. Absolutely. Like if, if for a second, I would have thought about what happened the night before the day before uh, we definitely would have died. So I think, I think when you're in that environment, you have to operate like that to stay alive. You've got to be pretty disconnected with your emotions, but there needs to be a program to show you how to decompress after it's all said and done. And there isn't one at all. So at some point your body's going to try and do it on its own. Um, you need help doing it. Uh, especially whenever you start getting out, I think that, that would do world difference for the suicide rate here in the states so Stephen, you were working on a, a book um a, and talking to people and was ptsd your focus or was this something that you kind of realized in interviewing these people that every single person and this is a point that i that you guys make in the film that i want people to understand too we think that ptsd happens to some people you guys are saying it pretty much happens to everybody right yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're put under the, the right, or in this case, the wrong set of circumstances, it's, you know, you're going to experiencing these symptoms that Taylor did. And um, to, to answer your question, I actually started the research looking into the experience of combat and it slowly became, you know, the, the more interesting story in my mind. And the story that wasn't being talked about enough was actually veterans returning home and their experience of transitioning into civilian life. Um, so what really kind of struck me about Taylor's situation was that my research had been centered almost exclusively on combat veterans and Taylor had never technically been deployed to a combat zone. Um, even though, you know, his, his, his role in Guam was essentially a first responder, you know, times 10. Um, and then he'd been deployed to disaster relief missions. You know, they're just like countless situations that, are easily comparable to a combat situation. And because he had never really experienced that, you know, he wasn't um, screened in the same way that maybe a combat veteran would have been. And as he was leaving the military, PTSD wasn't even mentioned to him. So that was a big red flag in my mind. And, and that ended up being a driving force for, you know, the story that we wanted to tell with this documentary. So it sounds to me like PTSD is almost built in simply because of the high level of, as you said, Taylor, compartmentalization that you need to have in your brain in order to do your job effectively and to even survive. It's almost like you, you know, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but I know when I go on vacation, it takes me a couple of days to chill out. And my biggest stressor is lady in front of me paying with a check in the, in the express line, you know? So like for you guys to be expected to come home from these really highly stressful situations, regardless of whether it's direct combat or not, your jobs are very much compartmentalized and stress-filled. It almost seems like this should be built into an awareness throughout the military. This is something everybody's dealing with and you're saying it's not. 
Yeah, right. So three of my really good friends that, that we deployed with committed suicide, and they were mechanics on our deployments. Um, they were we mechanics, worked, did you say? They were mechanics. Yeah, they were mechanics. We worked every day on the flight line. And when we deployed, they were on uh, the deck of the aircraft carrier, and then we were on the LHD-6 uh, amphibious vessel. Anyways, so when you're on, if you, even if you work on an aircraft carrier, every single day, if you're working on a flight line, everything on that thing wants to kill you. You know, there's the catapults run off. Everything with rotors is trying to chop your head off. And you have to live in that stressful environment every day for nine, ten months at a time. Um, yeah, it's not it's not just it's not just combat. It's being in an environment where your body is in a fight or flight mode all day long for years, months at a time. You know, um, it affects everybody. And that's not what what anybody's talking about. That's what we're trying to talk about with the film. So let's let's switch to the film. Let's switch gears a little bit here. And I, I guess what my first question to you is, was this journey intended to be more than a journey at the beginning of it? Or was this a, for you personally, I have to do something, I have to make a change. And then it kind of evolved into a, you know, this is an opportunity to, to highlight the challenges of people trying to transition. Before we get to that, I do want to talk about your experience on the beach and what happened to you that maybe was the pivotal moment in this that, that changed that, that experience. Yeah, I tried to take my own life, try to shoot myself in the head, um, around it and go off. And yeah, that was, that was the bottom for me. Um, it was pretty hard. We'll talk more about it in the film, but from the very beginning, especially after that moment, before Hell or ICs was even a spec, you know, we were going to go sail, but making a documentary about it wasn't, wasn't on our radar. And after talk to Steven about it, the whole goal for the film is to talk about PTSD, the animation that we have that talks about how PTSD affects the body on a physiological level. That's what the film is about. That's why we made the film. The reason we sailed around Cape Horn was we were like, well, if we're going to sail and, and talk about PTSD and how it affects the body, who's going to want to watch that? You know, we're just on a boat having conversations. Nobody's going to want to watch that. So we're like, well, we're going to have to sail around the baddest thing in the world we can to make it interesting, mm -hmm. try and grab people's attention to want to see it, especially people outside of the military, um, sailing community, family members, people that, that have deployed to help them understand. So if we made something crazy enough that people would want to pay attention to it, Maybe they'll take away what PTSD really is. Um, yeah, so from the very beginning, the whole goal was, was to talk about PTSD, to try and reach guys when they get out of the military and let them know that, that they're not alone feeling that way and that there's ways to stay alive. There's a reason to live again. That, yeah, that was the point of the film for sure. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about people that are listening to this, that are, that are sitting in the pit on the beach with, with, you know, metaphorically a gun to their head or just figure, figuring they're going to step out of life. And, and the challenge is just too big. And what I want people to realize is in that moment that you're standing on the beach and that happens, it is, it is the furthest thing from what you would consider the hero in the hero's journey. Right. And then you all go into, to, you know, you have that pivotal moment and then you create this film. And, and as all the, our listeners know, and, and all the movie uh, that are in film and, and, 
movie storytelling and that love a good film, it's the hero's journey that sucks us in, right? And you're talking about Taylor, making it interesting and exciting. So I want people to realize as you're hearing the next part of this interview and this, this chat with these guys, that that Taylor was at that, that pit moment that a lot of us sit in, sometimes more frequently in a year than others, but then embarks on this, on this hero's journey. Would I go out on the high seas? Probably not. I might think of maybe some roller coasters at a park that go upside down. But um, anyone can go from, from that pit feeling the furthest from a hero into their own hero's journey. So let's move into, let's move into that. So where the, where you guys, you know, you start this, you start this whole journey. And first of all, I want to thank you for naming your boat after me. The boat's called the old lady. (laughs) I was really considerate of you guys. Thank you so much. But you put, you put so much effort into this and you worked so hard and multiple times during the journey, things just went to hell in terms of the boat falling apart and this, st- I mean, those storms that you went through and, you know, I think, did you at any point recognize that this was kind of metaphorically what your life kind of was like, was that an awareness in, in any, I mean, obviously like you said, you're just trying to keep alive and keep the boat from, from just completely breaking apart. But at any point, maybe after with the fact, did you look at it and go, wow, this is kind of like where my head was like complete storms and then you're in these doldrum states. How did that affect you? Yeah. Stephen and I were definitely just trying to stay alive out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of, it's, I think, uh, ironic, you know, Stephen and I kind of just like, it couldn't have happened any other way to the point where we, I mean, if there was a hurricane out there, we found it and sailed <laughs> in it. <laughs> um, we actually sailed, we sailed through the first ever recorded in our history, anti-cyclone to hit the coast of Chile after the boat caught fire and we were sinking. That's when we sailed into the first recorded hurricane down there in the South Pacific. It was crazy. And, and then in that moment, we were sitting up on deck and we we're like, this couldn't happen any other way. It had to. It, it was the only way. Um, so after the fact, you know, I, I think I still feel the same way. It, it, it had to happen like that. I don't know, Stephen, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean the way things panned out ended up, you know, for better or worse, being a a fantastic metaphor. But, um, you know, Taylor and I would, would talk kind of at the beginning of this trip about, uh, the Odyssey and Odysseus's return home. Mm -hmm. And one thing I always kind of found compelling about that story is that, um, the Trojan war was 10 years long and then Odysseus's journey home took 10 years and he did have to go to hell and back. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we saw this metaphor of sailing as kind of like the original metaphor for veterans and military personnel returning home. Um, but I didn't, I didn't expect us to experience all the hardships that Odysseus did. <laughs> That's for sure. All in one trip. <laughs> well, you know, if, if this title and the way that we could do a parallel marketing thing, and we could have another one, same movie and call it the Hurricane Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> on a reality tv thing yeah we'd find them <laughs> you have great success look they're the most successful hurricane hunters out there there's another movie in the making for you guys so i you had a couple of points in the in the um in your journey you had a couple of other buddies join you at different spots 
And um, a couple of things struck me about different things that, that they said, and particularly John. He, he had a few moments um, in the film where he said something about this journey being an opportunity to shed light on people who were crying and not being heard. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way to highlight the plight of people who you know, give so much. And I think we assume that because of your training, and I think Kristen kind of referenced this before, that because of your training, you're just going to be equipped to be able to handle it. But the point that, that I think people need to understand, and Stephen, I think you talk about this in the film, is that there are actual physiological changes like in the body and in the brain that happen because of this. So it's not just something that you can kind of talk yourself out of. There's an actual right. physical component of this, right? Yep. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's one of the things, you know, one of the stigmas that's attached to PTSD is that it's mental. Um, and what we're finding in, you know, physiological research today is that the mind is in, interconnected with the body, you know, the, the hormones that your body releases affect the mind, shape the mind, um, and have a physical reaction within your body that can be measured. So, um, so all of it is, is, you know, inextricably connected to the physical experience and, and this, I guess, stigma or idea that it's just something, you know, you can put your, your mind to, and you can overcome yeah. just by being tougher, um, is, is just a farce. I was also struck a couple of times during the, uh, film Taylor that you repeatedly said things like it's my fault. You know, it's it's my fault that we're here. It's my fault. In fact, you even kicked the two guys off the boat at one point because you were afraid you were going to kill them inadvertently by one of the uh, one of the trips that you were making. And I wonder, um, again, is there any part of you as a veteran who comes home and and when you find yourself kind of acting out or whatever, is that a mantra that you say? It's my fault. It's my fault. Like that sounds like it's something else that you need to we need to make people understand that it's not their fault. Hmm. That's a, that's great. Um, man, that's a good question. Nobody's asked that before. It's diff it was different for me. I obviously can't speak to everybody. I can talk about um, the guys that we sell with our foundation and AMOD. Um, they've, we've had these conversations at length. Whenever I was in that moment, my lowest moments, I felt sorry for myself. Um, and I honestly didn't want to get better. I just didn't want to live in this world anymore. And I didn't care about anything or anyone. And it wasn't until I took responsibility for my emotions that I wanted to get better. You know, um, like you said, when we talk about it on the film, especially when we're around at Cape Horn, um, I think... I don't know. I think, I think that's what, just what it comes down to for me is I, like me as a person, I'm responsible for my own emotions. If I'm feeling that way, it's my job to not feel that way, to try and get better. It's not anybody else's. I can't, it's nobody else's job to make me want to live in this world. It's, it's up to me. And if I don't want to live in this world, then nothing anyone says can ever make me want to live in this world again. Nothing at all. We talk about that a lot on the boat. Um, so we have a lot of people that'll reach out, um, or their wives or family member, members will reach out and ask if they come sail with us. I'm like, if they don't want to get better right now, they're, I mean, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. You, you have to be responsible for how you feel and you have to want to get better before you can get better. 
And that's what it was for me. That's the best way I can describe it was it wasn't until I knew how I was feeling and I recognized it and named it and, uh, and wanted to be better and wanted to live in this world again. It, it did. I will say it did. It took sailing for me to see beauty in this world again, to want to stay alive, to see it again, to keep, keep seeing how gorgeous this world is. Cause when you're in that darkness, all you see is just, it's just nasty. It's disgusting. You don't want to be a part of this world. So I think the best thing you can do if somebody's in that, in that state is to show them how pretty this world is again um, and let them decide on their own terms that they want to live in it. But you can't force anybody to, to change that. It's got to be up to them and you have to take responsibility for that. You know, Taylor, I work, uh, my, I don't know if you know my backstory, my two boys are, are blind. They're in college now, they're doing really well. But um, as you can imagine, the majority of folks in this country and in this world that do lose their vision or are born blind are not having the level of success that my boys do. So I work with, with uh, people in the blind community to have more success. And the, and the number one thing that uh, we teach them is it really is up to you. It, it, at the bottom of it all, it is 100% responsibility on you to make that choice, as we talk about with our Brilliant and Resilient listeners, to make the choice of whether you're going to rise or you're going to stay in that pit. However, and what you're, um, you've already stated so eloquently through your different examples, when you have a, at least a tribal one around you, that when you're ready to take 100% responsibility and there are people standing there or just one person that says, here, let me show you then. Let me open these doors for you. Let me give you the resources that you're ready for. So it is really, we should probably talk about this more in the work that we do with, with our uh, folks that come to us in resilience is it, is it is a tribe that you need around you, but you have to make that choice yourself that you're ready to receive all of that. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to, that, to that end though, once you make that decision and, and you guys talked about this when you met up with the, the British um, army, I think it was, that they have a program, but it's one thing to make the decision. It's another thing to then know where to get help and, and to have help be available. And what do we have or what don't we have? Yeah, when we met the British in the Panama Canal, that was, Stephen and I say it was, was our greatest tragedy. Um, our transmission blew up on us halfway through. And th of all the boats in the entire world in that exact moment, um, a boat full of active duty British Army guys sailed up next to us and towed us the rest of the way through the canal. Wow. That didn't make it in the documentary, but that was like, that was one of the moments where like, I will never be able to explain that. Wow. But yeah, they saw our Mission 22 flag flying and they knew what it was. They were like, oh, Mission 22, that's cool, man. And I was like, yeah, you know, um, I'm just trying to raise awareness for veteran suicide and talk about PTSD. And, and they were like, that is incredible. And I was like, what the hell is active duty army guys doing out here from England? And, and they said um, that their unit, when they deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, um, a third of their unit at a time is required to go on an adventure therapy expedition, whether it's sailing or hiking or camping. Oh, wow. And, um, and they rotate through. And he was like, you know, some guys get blown up and, and get shot and we want to make sure they're physically okay when they come back. But more importantly, if you're not shot or if you don't get blown up, we want to make sure you're mentally stable whenever you come back. We want to take care of each other and make sure you can still come to your job every day and be effective. 
I was like, that's freaking incredible, man. So when they come back from their deployments, they rotate through these two week expeditions and they can choose which one they want to go to. And that's, and that's not specific to the UK. Um, Israel does it. Israel has a bunch of really cool studies about adventure therapy. Um, when their guys would come back from deployments, they'd put them on them. They've got a really good study that, that was a year long where they actually used a sailing program and proved adventure therapy helps your body kind of heal itself. Um, so there's other countries in the world that are doing this now and it's, and it's, and it works. And, um, and it's kind of sad to talk about, like they've been doing this for years, you know, for decades. Now this research is out there. The means to heal is out there. We just haven't started doing it yet. Um, we've talked to several congressmen here in Texas. Um, anybody that would listen to us about establishing these programs in our military. But, uh, you know, a lot of the answers we get is, is, our military is just too big. We can never do something like that. You know, it's the United States. I'm like, that's exactly why we could do it. We have plenty of money and resources. You know how much the land? The yeah, military this is the place owns? where you go. We can't do that. <laughs> right. Do you like how much land the military owns that you could start these programs? And then in that respect, there are thousands upon thousands of adventure therapy programs in the States that have popped up by veterans like us because they've lost a lot of people to suicide and they know adventure therapy works. So, I mean, you could do anything in this country. You can go on a week long fly fishing trip. You can go horseback riding for a month through the mountains. Really great program here is on horses. Um, these programs already exist by veterans that have come back to the States. Now we just need to figure out a way to implement these programs whenever active duty guys are getting out. Um, it's not hard to do. Everything's already set up. All we have to do is start sending active duty guys to these programs around the States. And I think, I think the solution there would be is if our government would just fund. If you're, if you're a veteran adventure therapy program, you're funded. Every single active duty member that we send to your program, they cover, they pay for, uh, for them to get their food and everything. I think that would do a lot. We would see suicide rates drop drastically. And that in itself, I think, is the biggest problem in our states is our country is very reactionary. Um, so suicides... You know, they, if you're having a hard time, they're like, oh, well, you should get counseling and, and try and help stop you from being homeless and doing drugs. And our thing is like, what if you catch people before that happens? What if you mm -hmm. help people stay healthy before they even get that bad? Because once you're in that low spot, once you're already that low, it's going to be hard to catch them, you know? So if you get people when they're already healthy and it show them how to work with their body and that you can live again, be healthy, I think we'd see our numbers go way down. That was my rant. Sorry, I get super passionate. I get no, hey, off and exactly what we need. We people need to hear this. this yeah. is, and from from the mouth of someone who has quite literally been there and in that position. You know, honestly, Taylor, you're you've got my brain firing. So I'm in the same mode with um in the blind community. And here's what I want listeners to understand. And and we can um I'm certainly uh, open to talking with you guys about this in terms of um veterans and PTSD in the blind community, people say, oh, that doesn't impact me. I don't know anyone that's blind and financially, you know, socially that doesn't impact me. A study was just done in the United States blindness costs our socioeconomic programs, $31.6 billion, right? I think it's something like 62% of that is mental health issues, suicides, addiction, all of that. I'd be very interested to see what the numbers are in terms of the military and veterans for PTSD. So people think that it doesn't impact us as a whole. And it's a huge crisis and impact that it really does. And, and exactly what you said, Taylor, to put that funding instead of reactionary 
into preventative and enhancing people's lives and, and allowing them the opportunity to come home and, and deal with this and then uncover their brilliance and let them get out there in the world and do what their, their purpose is, what a whole different country we would be. I go might, into rants too. It might be, <laughs> but actually, that's actually a really good point because it might be a, a practical way um, to bring attention to this and just compare the costs. You know, here's the, here's what it's going to, here's what it costs to deal with the mental health issues and the mental illness and all that kind of stuff and the homelessness and everything else. What if we get this before those are issues? What if we give people an opportunity to rebuild their lives so they don't have to go down that road and they don't need those kinds of services? But, you know, point. this is such an interesting, I didn't realize our conversation was going to go here, but it's like a full circle thing for everyone that's listening to this, no matter what your struggle is, if you put in and invest on the front end, like these skills that we talk about in, in living brilliantly resilient, if you invest on the front end in your mental health and having the right tools, the, the lack of costs and issues on the back end is, is huge. And like I said, you get, you can be on your merry way to living your, your life's purpose and the, and the dreams that you have, whatever they are, man, that, it was, it's kind of like we all had a pre-production meeting and said, <laughs> let's tell the story this way. <laughs> but it just also goes to show that resilience is resilience and, yeah. and bouncing back and all these tools all come together, no matter the big or small struggle. I don't want to say small struggle with one person thinks might be a small struggle is a really big one, you know, in other people's minds. Um, but it's all very similar, especially this investing on the front end. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I want to just, because we, we need to, I, I hate to say we need to wind up. I feel like I could talk to these guys for the whole rest of the day. Um, but a couple of things that I want, first of all, I want people to see this movie because it is incredibly mesmerizing. And as I thought about the whole part of the, the, the whole journey, like at the very beginning, like you said, you found every hurricane that, that was anywhere on any ocean. They saw you guys and they're like, oh, we got to go over there. We got to get these guys. And it was like, to me, that was your mental state at the beginning of this whole thing. That was your brain at the beginning of this whole thing. It was just like a nonstop hurricane. And then as you went through and different things kind of stopped you in your tracks and you, uh, you experienced the doldrums, which like that had to be a part of your mental journey too. Like this kind of place of inertia, like I'm stuck. I'm not going to be able to go anywhere. Where am I going? And you literally were stuck at sea, like with no place to go. And then at the end of it, what I want to point out is that even when you got to the very end of the journey, there was still that frustration because the skies were cloudy and you wanted to see Cape Horn in the worst way. And then all of a sudden the sun came out and, and you said, God gave us a break after all. So <laughs> it's just like the, the, the whole thing is such a, it's a poem in and of itself. It's an odyssey in and of itself that speaks to everything that you went through physically, everything that you went through emotionally. And then at the very end of it, you came out of it with this gorgeous scenery and this gorgeous view. And it was just like God shined a light on you. And you said in the movie, you chase everything you can in this world because you're alive in it. And I think that that's something that you can leave all of your veterans with 
because you're still here, you're still alive, and there's still a journey worth taking. So um, I don't know. I just I was on a rant there too, wasn't I? Ladies and gentlemen, I inspire rants. You guys inspire rants. (laughs) So. Um, I guess just what I, I want to thank you for making such a beautiful movie. And I want to uh, offer, uh, turn the opportunity back to you guys to, first of all, tell us where we can learn more about you, um, both of your, your work and what you're doing now and anything else you want to throw us, throw at us right now. Yeah. Uh, all our information is on the website, hellericies.com um, as, as well as where to watch the film. It's pretty readily available. Um, whatever your streaming platform is stories all there. Um, yeah, we do have programs set up in ourselves and we can put you in touch with programs. If you're listening to this, if you're a veteran and you're where I was, um, we can help, you know, we have a sailing program down here in Texas called American Odysseus sailing foundation. We sail veterans and first responders, um, but there's a lot of programs all over Texas. We can put you in touch with. Um, I mean, we work with several around the country. So yeah, if you're, if you're listening and you're wondering if you're alone, you're not. And, uh, We've got a whole team waiting to hear from you. Stephen, anything you want to add? I, you know, just that this documentary, um, you can find more information on hellerhighseas.com, uh, but we're on Apple TV as well. Um, I think it was maybe a week ago, Taylor sent me a screenshot showing us on the top documentaries on Apple TV if you're just scrolling wow. through. So it's out there. It's, it's easily accessible, um, and it's a film that changes lives. I gotta tell you, okay. mine. Uh, one last. Well, Stephen hates when I do this, but I'm dead serious. Uh, from the land of Genesis, the book that he wrote. It's. It, I think family members need to read it. It's the only way to really understand what your spouse or son or daughter are going through. Um, I point people there a lot because I can't really I can't really describe it, but family members deal with this a lot. They they deal with all the hard stuff. You know, they get pushed away by people that that love them. Um, and if you want to know why, if you want to know what that's like and, and understand it better, you should definitely read his book. It's, it's incredible. That's why we did the trip. You know? Well, I appreciate that. My, my son struggled with substance abuse for many, many years. And um, it is the family that wants so much to be there and wants so much to help and just doesn't often know how, how to do it. So it, that's um, Stephen, tell us a little bit about the book. Is that what the focus is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at the time of, me researching it, I was really seeing a lot of sensationalized material out there about veterans returning home um, and PTSD, a lot of misconceptions. And so I wanted to tell the story of, you know, the average veteran, somebody coming home and what their experience is like and, and what their relationships are like and their interaction with their family and their home and how they, how they, you know, not necessarily, um, overcome PTSD, but, but learn how to live with it and learn how to, to become themselves, you know, even though that they've changed. And tell us the name of the book again, Land of Genesis. From the Land of Genesis. From the Land of Genesis. And that's on uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's on our website as well. So if you just go to hellerhighseas.com, I'm sure you can find it somewhere on there. <laughs> awesome. Stephen O'Shea, Taylor Greger, we are so delighted that you joined us today to shine a light on this really important issue. The film is Hell or High Seas, and it is just incredible. I urge everybody to go out there and see it. We can put you in touch with these guys. Um, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for making such an incredible film. Um, 
it's it, it is life changing. And as a as a um a sister, a sister in law, and a daughter of veterans, I thank all of of the veterans um, for your service to our country and to you guys for your service to our veterans and the rest of our country with the work that you're doing now. We really appreciate you. It is so needed, and um, we appreciate that you're serving in this way. And for all of you that are still trying to figure out how to take the next step in your own hero's journey, whether you're in the pit or you're on the rise and need a few um, people in your tribe or resources, go to brilliantlyresilient.net, blink three times and a magic box appears where you can put your email in and we'll send it out to y'all. Thanks so much for joining us again. We'll see you next time. Bye guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.